0: Well, good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open up this morning to the book of Revelation chapter 21. We are going to be at the end of your Bibles as we talk this morning about heaven. So, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, As you guys turn there, let me explain to you guys something that we're doing new, uh, really for the next few weeks. If you guys have been at Southwood, you've seen us do this before. If you're new here this morning, I don't want you to think we're creepy, all right? So, uh, uh, for the next few weeks, uh, before the end of college class, we're going to be taking people's photos, and what we do is we put your photo and your name up on these two boards that are uh, toward the left back there as you walk out. uh, for what we call kind of our faces of Southwood. And so we want you guys to feel like you belong here. We want you guys to feel like you have a face. And so it's just a great spot to kind of see our body here. And so that's why we're asking if we can have your picture, all right? Not being freaky or weird, all right? That's kind of what we're doing just so you know kind of uh, what all is going on. But we're thrilled that you're here with us. We're going to be Revelation chapter 21 and 22 this morning as we look at the topic of heaven. Uh, We're going to be kind of all the way through these two chapters a little bit, but uh, we're going to start off verses 1 to uh, 5 this morning. If you'll read uh, and follow along with me. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. We pray with me. Father God, as you look at the book of Revelation this morning, Lord, and as we were asked the question about heaven and what it is like, Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide our time. Uh, Father, I pray for a topic that is so crucial Uh, And yet so unknown for so many of us, Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning, uh, that even as we unfold your word, the very unfolding, the psalmist says, brings light. And I pray this morning that you would illuminate our minds, that you would grant us understanding and insight into your word. Father, I pray even as I teach and communicate this morning, Lord, I pray that you would use me however you see fit, uh, that you would take uh, where we're going to go this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would work it into each of our lives and our hearts just as you see fit. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that are teachable, um, minds that are inquisitive and open uh, this morning, Lord. And I pray that you would take a topic that is so crucial and yet so unfamiliar and that you teach us this morning, that you give us a clear sense really of what we are to expect and what is to come and and really all that we've created to be uh, and created to enjoy. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to get a sense really of what you intend for heaven to be this morning, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. One of my dreams going through college was to travel to Europe, and so the summer after my junior year, I had the chance to travel, and I spent six weeks at AM Study Abroad Campus in Italy. It's an hour south of Florence in a little medieval town called called Castiglione, Florentino. It was an amazing six weeks. All right, We picked up six hours of credit, and then me uh, and two other uh, buddies traveled throughout the rest of Europe for about two to three weeks, and so all in all, we were planning on spending about two months in Europe. Uh, not just Italy, but Germany and Prague and uh, Austria and, and France, and uh, we are going to go all over the place, and so we were so excited. Uh, what I really didn't I- I realize in prior to that trip was the amount of preparation and research would be required to do that kind of trip, all right? And so... Uh, We spent really what was going to be two months in Europe, but we spent literally what it felt like more than three months researching for this trip. All right. And so uh, we had to look into airline tickets, train tickets, taxis. We had to look into hostels and hotels all throughout Europe. I had to look into and we bought all kinds of travel guides for all those countries. And so we had an army of travel guides as we were traveling. We had to look also into currencies and customs and passports and uh, visas. And I mean, just all over the deal It was just so much work. And so I let my best friend do it right so he did most of the work and I just was long for the trip I really had no idea what we are going to be doing um, but he spent really what was a good part of three months really planning and researching for this trip we were so thrilled and excited all right uh, and so and yet had no idea that it was going to take that much work and research just to get ready for that trip and, and many me think even this week as looking at the topic of heaven we were going to spend a two-month trip in Europe and we researched it for three months all right or he did um, and yet when we talk about the topic of heaven, a place that for many of us we believe we will spend eternity in. I think it is one of the most unresearched topics, all right? I, I will tell you, even for me this morning uh, or this week preparing for this talk, I feel like I've learned more this week about a topic than any other sermon I've preached probably in the last few years. Even for myself, and I think even for you guys, the topic of heaven is at some level unfamiliar. At some level, we think it's uh, something that we can't even imagine or have a grasp or a handle on. And so we don't know what to do with that. I think we often don't think much about heaven because we don't know what to think about heaven. And yet, as we open the the word this morning, as we look at Revelation 21 and 22, I think what we're going to find is that heaven actually is a very revealed topic throughout our scriptures. Uh, At least according to the biblical writers, heaven was not that unfamiliar of a topic. And in fact, what I think we're going to find this morning is that it is actually far more familiar as to what we're going to find and expect to our present existence and life than we actually realize. In fact, I think it's its familiarity actually is going to be quite unfamiliar to us as we think about what heaven is going to be like. In many ways, I think really the reason why a lot of us don't think that much about heaven is not just because we're unfamiliar with it. We have no idea what to expect. But I think a lot of times we don't think much about heaven because I think Satan has convinced the great majority of us that that heaven will be absolutely boring, all right? I think very many of us don't think heaven is going to be that exciting, so we really don't research it that much. I think a lot of y'all might be, like a few quotes I ran across this week, a few people say this, thinking of what heaven will be like, and maybe you could connect. Eternity is going to be an unending church service. We've settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our heart sinks, forever and ever. That's it. That's the good news. And then we sigh and feel guilty that we are not more spiritual. I think for a great amount of my own Christian life, I probably would at some level have connected with that, thinking that heaven was just uh, floating in the clouds with strange uh, angel baby-looking people uh, with harps, right? Uh, that's kind of what we often think heaven is going to be like. Uh, another person says it even more bluntly and even more harshly. Uh, he says, I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium, speaking of heaven, to float around in the clouds and nothing to do but strum a harp. It's so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound that much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated and spend eternity in a place like that. You know, I, I think when you and I have an unclear idea of what heaven is, or we have an idea of heaven that is frankly unbiblical, uh, we can land in places that are really, really extreme. And so my hope this morning as we kind of talk through this topic is that we'll get a sense that heaven actually is far more familiar to our current existence and experience than you and I would have any idea of. And in light of that, I think we're going to have a much better idea of how to imagine what heaven and eternity will be like. And therefore, I think we're actually going to find it is far more compelling than what we ever think about. And if anything, it is not going to be boring. Heaven really is created and it is going to be all that you and I were created to be and created to enjoy. Heaven will be anything but boring for those of us that are confident that we will get to experience it. And so what is heaven going to be like? Let me kind of first start off and say that I think heaven will be concrete. And I mean that literally and figuratively, all right? I think heaven is going to be something that is concrete. It is going to be real. It is going to exist. And it is not just going to be figurative and fantasy, all right? In fact, I think heaven is going to be actually, an eternity is going to be actually quite earthy. Notice back Revelation chapter 21. What does John tell us? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And what does the new Jerusalem come to? comes out of heaven and it comes to the new earth. As we speak of eternity, as we speak of what is to come, it is actually quite an earthy experience. In fact, even I think as we think about heaven, the last thing we think about often is earth. We think of a disembodied existence in which we're just kind of floating in the clouds, right? And yet I think what eternity is going to be is quite earthly. In fact, if it were going to be earthly, I don't know how John could have said it anymore. (laughs) There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The city of Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven and onto earth where we will reside. Our existence in eternity will be on the earth. Heaven has come to earth. That's really what we're looking for and hoping for. And in fact, not just that the heavens have come to the earth, but God himself is now going to live and exist and dwell amongst us. That is the hope of heaven. Heaven is going to be quite earthy. In fact, uh, Paul Marshall says it like this. Our destiny is an earthly one, a new earth, an earth redeemed and transfigured, an earth reunited with heaven, but an earth. Nevertheless, you and I are not going to have eternity apart from a new earth. (laughs) And that's going to begin to really shape really what we're going to expect eternity to be like and that it is going to be earthy. Um, I will; uh, Those who know me know that I am probably not the most earthy guy, all right? I'm not a Chacos-wearing uh, guy. I'm not an analogy and caring person. Um, when I am out in nature, even this past summer, uh, Marcy's family and my wife had a family reunion. We're going to be out at a te- uh, Texas dude ranch in July. I thought that sounds more like hell than heaven, right? Uh, I don't want to be outside in July anywhere in the state of Texas, all right? In fact, my whole uh, thought of this whole family reunion changed dramatically when we got there, and I realized that our cabins were actually quite lush. We had Wi-Fi. And we had cable. All right. And my whole experience kind of shifted in that moment of what I thought this dude ranch was going to be about. Um, Even a a previous year ago, we were on a hike and I'm that guy on a hike up a mountain that's asking and joking around with people. "Uh, Is the Starbucks like up there or uh, can I get Wi-Fi up there? Like what's going on? All right, I'm I'm not really the most nature guy. All right. Uh, And so uh, even as I think some of us think about heaven, I think none of us really think of heaven in terms of mother nature. I think very few of us think of heaven in terms of what nature is going to be. And so even if you're not a nature person now, nature is going to exist in heaven. Heaven is going to be, and eternity is going to be on earth. It's going to be an earthy existence. And here's why. Because God is going to renew the earth. God, in a sense, is going to recycle. He's going to renew the entirety that he's created. In fact, we find that in Romans chapter 8, 23. Really, what we find, though, this kind of takes us all the way back to our talk last week. If You guys remember we talked last week about the uh, future reality of our physical bodies. We said that God had created us material and immaterial. We said he created us with a physical body and a soul. And what death is is the ripping apart of those two things from one another. Death is all about a separation. So death is the separation of our physical body from our immaterial soul. What resurrection is is a restoration of the physical body alongside of the soul because what we expect in eternity is an existence that is bodily, not non-bodily. In fact, that talk last week is absolutely crucial because when you and I understand that a bodily resurrection is coming, then it begins to shape and begins to fill in the gaps of what we begin to think and outline heaven and eternity to be. If you and I are going to have physical bodies, then we're going to expect a physical eternity. A physical body has to have a place to land. It has to have a place to walk. And so really in light of the reality of a physical body that is going to be resurrected, it begins to shape and it sets up even our talk this morning because eternity is going to be earthly because we're going to have an earthly body a body that is going to be resurrected and glorified and different than the one we had, but a body nonetheless, and therefore heaven and eternity will be earthly. All right, And so that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The reality of a physical body is absolutely huge. When you and I miss the reality of a future body that is to come, it begins to change what we expect heaven and eternity to be. In fact, uh, in the coming uh, months, you guys are going to find an album is going to be released by an incredibly popular Christian artist uh, in mainstream evangelical Christian music industry. All right, um, And I can tell you guys are going to run across this song. I'm not going to tell you guys who it is because you're going to find it. But I want you guys to listen to the lyrics of this song, and I want you guys to answer for me, what do you guys think this artist thinks of what's going to happen to the Christian body in the future that is to come? And notice in light of what he thinks of the physical body to come, notice what he thinks of heaven and eternity to come. This is what he says. I am a soul with a body of my own, and there is a time that I will lay this body down, and when I go, don't mourn for what is lost, but rejoice for what is found. Here's the chorus. And if the devil wants to come for me, I will tell him to his face, you can have my body, but you cannot have my soul. In the heavens I will be singing songs of hallelujah, you can have my body, but you cannot have my soul. What does this artist think of what's going to happen to our physical body in the days that are to come? The devil can have my body, but he cannot have my soul because I don't need the body anymore. The body is superfluous to my existence. It is not necessary for who I am. And so the devil can have this thing. And yet I think what we find throughout our scriptures is that the devil cannot have the body. That God will come back for the body because not only does he come back for the body, but he's going to come back for the entirety of all that he's created. The reality of a physical bodily resurrection shows us that the heavens that are to come will be earthly and they will be physical because all that Christ is going to do is not just redeem us from sin, but he's going to recreate and restore all that he created. In fact, we find that even in Romans chapter eight, notice a few verses before Romans eight twenty three about the physical resurrection. Notice what Paul says about the entirety of God's creation. It says for the anxious longing of the creation, Not just humanity but the entirety of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery, to corruption, and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Notice how what does Paul expect of the future that is to come? Not just the redemption of the physical body, not just the restoration and the glorifying of the children of God, but he's looking for and he's waiting on the entirety of the creation to be set free from the slavery and the corruption and the difficulty it's under right now. As we look toward the future, we're looking for not just the resurrection of humanity, but we're looking for the restoration of the creation itself. That is what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be all about because God is going to renew everything. And the physical body sets our expectation of that when God brings about everything to a resurrection. And notice a great quote from a guy named Anthony Hoakim. He says this, The work of Christ, therefore, is not just to save certain individuals, not even to save an innumerable throng of blood-brought people. The total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation from the effects of sin, the entirety of the creation. That purpose will not be accomplished until God has ushered in the new earth, until paradise lost has become paradise regained we go back to a new earth, we go back to a new Eden and a new garden. And the paradise that was, we were once a part of that was lost is now going to be regained. And really what we begin to look forward to is a new Eden and a new garden and a new earth. What you and I are expecting is something that is incredibly concrete. And I think a lot of us kind of imagine as if we've come to, a, as if Jesus has, in a sense come to check in for an air flight, uh, for a plane, and he's trying to check his baggage. And I think a lot of us, in light of kind of what we think of the future, it's as if Jesus can't check humanity and creation in. So he's got to, in a sense, because he can't pay for both, he's just going to pay for humanity and jump on the plane to the destination that is glory and eternity. And really, that couldn't be anything farther from the truth. It's not like Jesus has to choose what is absolutely essential. <laughs> Really what Christ has done on our behalf when he died on a cross was not just to bring about a salvation of human souls for those that would trust in him for the uh, purification of their sins. What we find at the cross of what Jesus did was not just the paying of the penalty for our sins, but it is the, also the exaltation of not just the physical body and resurrection, but the paying to get creation itself set free. Christ didn't just pay so that humanity that was dead in their sin could be freed. What Christ paid for also is that he paid so that the creation itself could be set free from its slavery and so that it could find glory and it could find freedom as well. And ultimately what we're going to find is that in light of that, heaven is not just going to be concrete, but it is going to be continuous with what you and I see right now. What you and I see right now actually is a signpost that's pointing us toward what is to come. One of my dreams when I was growing up was that I could be a designer of resorts, all right? That didn't really work out, so I'm here. I'm just kidding, all right? Um, But I really kind of had a vision. I had a great dream that really what I'd love to do is design resorts. My family uh, vacationed a lot. I was an only child, so it was kind of easy to travel. And so, and still am an only child. And so we would travel a lot, and often we'd go to resorts, and I just thought resorts were fascinating. Even for Marcy and I, when we first got married, we'd kind of resort hop. I just love to see resorts, I still do. Uh, one of the things that's always kind of fascinating to me about resorts, though, is often the elaborate entrances that they have, all right? And so whether it's a resort or whether it's Disney World, it it's always has a gate, it has an entrance, it has a sign that sets your anticipation of what is to come, right? An entrance or the, uh, the gate or whatever it is before those places always kind of gives you a sense of what you are to expect. It always is going to be also a teaser for there is something even more glorious coming. And so the entrance to a resort is, is setting in a sense your expectation for what you're going to find when you arrive. I think what the old earth is is an elaborate entrance, so to speak, toward what we're to expect of the new earth. This earth, in a sense, is a signpost gaining and setting your expectations of what is to come because that which is coming is going to be like that which you and I are experiencing right now. Heaven and eternity on a new earth is going to be like what you and I are experiencing. There is a continuity that exists between the two. In fact, notice really, if you will, with me, uh, as we kind of think about this, I think for many of us, we really what we find is that I think Satan has told us not just that heaven is going to be boring, but I think Satan has told us that we can't even imagine or it's inappropriate to imagine what heaven is going to be like, what a new earth is going to be like. So I think a lot of us, whether we're bored by it or we think that we really can't even come to any idea of trying to imagine this thing, we kind of push it off. I think as we look through the scriptures, I think that's actually not true. I think a lot of us kind of miss what the scriptures are saying, because I think the scriptures do give us a clue as to what we're ex- to expect. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, uh, and verse 10. Uh, many will quote verse 9, speaking of heaven, and many will say this. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Many will quote verse 9 and stop as they speak of heaven, saying you can't even imagine it. You can't see it, you can't dream it, it's not even your heart, so you can't even talk or describe heaven. And yet most miss verse 10, which says, for to us God revealed them through his spirit. Heaven is not something, and in in eternity is not something that the scriptures have not left us without a record of. Many will also run to the, the uh, vision that Paul has of the, of the heavens. And, and he comes back and he says, I wasn't permitted to describe or to even tell of that. And so people will say, hey, you can't describe. It's, uh, actually, it's inappropriate to even dream or imagine what heaven and, and new earth and eternity will be like. And yet they forget what the book of Revelation is all about is the vision that John had that he was permitted to share. The book of Revelation is all about, in a sense, a picture of the heavens and the new earth and what is coming. And so we get a whole different sense as we kind of walk through that. It's not just that God has revealed it to us, but I also think we see not just a clue from Revelation, but we also find, in a sense, a correspondence to creation. Uh, And that much of what the scriptures are going to reveal to us aren't just figures of speech that have no reference for the present or no reference for reality. Even as the scriptures speak of heaven and a new earth, they're not just giving us a figure of speech that's like fantasy that has no bearing on reality. That is actually giving us quite a sense of what's to come. Like an entrance to a resort that's gaining your anticipation and setting for you a sense of what you're about to find. The entrance is like what's coming. The old earth is like what's coming, but without the taint of sin, without the taint of of the fall. So there's a correspondence to creation. We see it, first of all, even in our own personal resurrection. Again, kind of going back to the topic we talked about last week, that our own resurrection to new life through a new body sets again an anticipation of what is to come. Not just that the new resurrection and the new restoration will be physical, but even more so that it will be a correspondence even to person. So let me give you guys even an example. Luke chapter 24. Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and appearing to the disciples. And he says this, See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Jesus, crucified, resurrected, was himself. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up, and the disciples are there, and and they recognize Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah, pre-death, post-death, same self, same person. In other they're going to be a correspondence to who you and I are now as we are resurrected. We are resurrected the same self. Even the body itself, I think, will be a correspondence to the one you have now. But glorified, perfected, exalted, honoring. Just because you and I are going to be made like Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we have no distinction and no identity. When we are resurrected and restored, we will be our same selves, which is why we can say this. We can banish all fear of being absorbed into the all which Buddhism holds before us or reincarnated in some other life form as in the post-mortem prospect of Hinduism. The self with which we were endowed by the creator in his gift of life to us, the self whose worth was secured forever in the self-substitution of God for us on the cross, that self will endure into eternity. Death cannot destroy us, according to Bruce Milne. Great quote. As we think about other world religions, they have all different views of what eternity and the afterlife is. As we look at the Christian view of the afterlife, we look at the Christian view of eternity, what we find is one in which it is going to be just, in a sense, like what God originally created. As we look at the new heavens and new earth and we look at eternity, we're going to find continuity with what God originally created back in the garden. In fact, as we look here in a minute, as we look at cities and we look at gardens, it is going to be like, in its description to what you and I see now, look with me, chapter 21, look at how John describes the new city that is to come. Tell me if it sounds that different than what you and I see now. Chapter 21 verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates and the gates 12 angels and the names were written on them and which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were 3 gates on the east, 3 gates on the north, 3 gates on the south and 3 gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width, and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. As John describes the city that he saw, he's using incredibly familiar, incredibly concrete terms. A city that is going to be as high, as wide, and tall, um, 1,500 miles. Let me put that in perspective for you. If each story of that building was 12 feet, you'd have 600,000 stories, and the dimensions of each story would be half of the United States. All right? And the description of the city looks very physical and very literal. If an eternity on a new earth was going to be concrete, physical, how else would you describe it? Is the description simply a picture that's figurative? but fantasy or is it real? If it were real, how else could John describe it? Did he actually see something or was this completely different than what we will actually find? In fact, look with me now. Chapter 22, we're going to find another description of what John saw. we now not a city, but now this time a garden. And tell me if this sounds anything like what we find in Genesis chapter one and two of the garden that was in Genesis chapter 22, verses one to six. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal. Coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were the, for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of the light of the land nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Really, as you and I get a picture of a city and a garden that is to come, I think it's actually not that unfamiliar as to what cities and gardens look like. In fact, it's actually not that unfamiliar at all as to what we saw back in Genesis 1 and 2 with the Garden of Eden. Again, we find the tree of life. Again, we find a river. Again, we find God in their presence. It looks just like what God originally created. And really, as we begin to look at what is to come, what we're going to find is that God is going to be a restoration of all that he originally intended. What we're going to find is not that unlike what we saw originally, nor is it that unlike what we see even now, except it's going to be glorified in the the taint of sin and the the corruption, corruption of sin is going to be removed, not just for humanity, but for the creation itself. And so all of a sudden, we're beginning to see a new earth, a new Eden, much like what God originally intended. In fact, if what God originally intended for Adam and Eve was fulfilling and satisfying and looked nothing like angels on clouds with harps, then I think what we're going to find is going to be just as satisfying and often look just like it. As we talk about this topic of heaven and hell, I think what we're going to find is that heaven's going to be quite compelling. In particular, I think what we're going to find is that it's not just concrete, it's continuous and it's quite compelling. Because what heaven is going to be is all that you and I were intended to be and all that you and I were intended to enjoy. So what exactly are we doing in heaven? If heaven is concrete, literal heaven on earth, and if it's continuous with what you and I see now, what can you and I expect that it will be, and what will we be doing for all of eternity? I kind of started out with some quotes about in this tedium, is that what heaven is going to be? Is it an endless, uh, in a sense, worship service in which we're just singing for all of eternity? Or is it something more and something far more uh, various in our experience and in our time? I mean, first off, I saying that I think there's a few things that we're going to be in eternity. First of all, I think that you and I will be feasters. What I mean by that is I think that we actually might be literally eating and drinking for eternity. <laughs> that sounds incredibly weird, right? Um, I think... Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. Um, you know, I think as we think about uh, eternity, uh, even as you look at the scriptures as they portray and they talk about that day, one of the fitting images that we see over and over again is of a feast—a feast that is to come that we will be at the table with God Himself, enjoying all that He created. In fact, in Genesis or in Revelation twenty-two, I think we see the river of life and we see the tree of life—the tree of life that's bearing different fruit every single month. In fact, I think what we find from that is that it says, according to, I think, verse 2 or 3, it says that it's for the healing of the nations. Well, if in eternity there is no disease and there is no sickness and there is no death, then I don't think healing is the best translation there. In fact, I think what we find there is not healing, but we find a sense in which life is satisfying and there is sustenance for life. I think the tree of life is providing food for you and I throughout all of eternity so that we can be sustained. And so, really, what we begin to find is we look at heaven and earth, or heaven on earth, is that this experience, really, uh, of a tree and of a river um, and of healing, so to speak, is much of really a satisfaction of desire. In fact, I think, uh, as you think about it, I think for many of us, we think that desires or hunger or thirst are bad. What makes them bad is that they're not fulfilled. So someone goes hungry, someone goes thirsty. What makes desires bad is that sometimes we fulfill them the wrong way or we don't find them fulfilled at all until we ache and we feel broken, we feel empty. And yet what we're going to find, I think, for all of eternity is we're going to find desire, hunger, and thirst but that are satisfied over and over again. I found a quote this week. You and I will have the sweet longing of desire that can be fulfilled and shall be again and again and again. Heaven is not the absence of longing but it is its fulfillment. Heaven is not the absence of itches. It is the satisfying scratch for every itch. I think we may literally be eating and drinking for all of eternity. Uh, finding in that, again, the provision of God for life. A life that is perpetual, continues, but a life that has to be uh, fed and, and uh, built. Even more so, uh, even more interesting to me is that we may be learners. I think not just those that are eating and drinking, but those that are consuming and growing in our understanding. I think we, you and I will literally actually be growing in our understanding for all of eternity. Some will quote, First Corinthians chapter 13 and say, there's no way you and I will be learners for eternity. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. What is Paul saying? Is he saying that you and I will be omniscient for eternity? That when we finally see Jesus, we will know everything. I don't think that's at all what what Paul is saying. In fact, if you and I see God face to face and we know everything, we are now omniscient. And I think for eternity, we will not be omniscient because we are not the divine. We're not the creator. I think we will see clearly, we will no longer see it as, uh, as through a, a dirty glass in a sense. We will see Jesus for all that He and God for all that he is, because he's right in front of us and we see him face to face. But we will for all of eternity be growing and learning. A uh, fascinating book on the topic of heaven. I, I found it. I ran across this summer. I don't know if any of you guys have read it, but it's a book called Heaven is for Real. Fascinating book. In fact, written not necessarily for the church, but written for our culture at large. as asking the question, is heaven for real? Uh, and the story is about a little boy named Colton who goes into a surgery, basically kind of has a near-death experience, and he ends up uh, with a vision of heaven. Now, is it true? What do you make of it? It is uh, stunning the kind of testimony he has as it fits with Scripture, especially at a young age when he wouldn't have known the testimony of Scripture. Um, in fact, I'll tell you, I'm not the biggest like, emotional uh, responding guy to movies or books, all right. Uh, I don't really glaze up that much. Uh, it takes a lot for me to be moved, but for whatever reason, reading through this book on a vacation this past summer, I'm on a plane just weeping, all right, just glazing up, trying to hide it. You know, like I don't know what's going on. I mean, the book just grabbed me and moved me, and let me highly encourage you to check it out. If you're wrestling with really, hey, is heaven for real? Great account again, uh, n- not the account of scripture, uh, but a-, a really interesting story from a, a family pastor or uh, father who was a pastor, a child who uh, has a new. Near- death experience, wonderfully written story. But even in it, Colton gives this testimony fascinating to me. He says to his dad, or his dad says, well, what did you do in heaven? You apparently had a vision, you had an experience in heaven. Well, what, what did you do? And he and he answers, homework. <laughs> his dad thinks, homework, that, that wasn't what I was expecting. Choir practice, maybe, because we're singing forever, right? Uh, but homework, what do you mean? Uh, Colton responds, uh, Jesus was my teacher. He asked his uh, son, well, like, like in school, and Cole nodded, and Jesus gave me work to do, and that was my favorite part of heaven. Uh, now, I realize to take the idea of school and professors and syllabus, it's not really the heaven that you're hoping for, right? Uh, but at some level, even in your own experience, isn't there an element of learning that is satisfying and fulfilling and challenging? And maybe for you, the reason why you hate your degree is because you're learning things that you're not interested in. But if you were learning things that grabbed your heart, that were interesting to you, which is why some of you guys grab a book and can't put it down, because you're fascinated by the story, or you're fascinated by a topic, and so you keep reading, and you're reading, and you're just grabbed by it. That element is, is I think, what we're going to have captured for all of eternity, which you and I are going to be learning and growing. And that's why I think heaven is not static. It's not endless tedium. It is an ever-expanding, ever-changing, dynamic experience for all of eternity you and i will never be omniscient but i think you and i will be in the very presence of god and in the presence of a perfected creation and we will be growing in our own understanding more and more and more and be fascinated and more and more pulled in there's an element of that that you and i are created for that is so fulfilling and so satisfying and i think we find that even in heaven for all of eternity and it's not just that i think that you and i are going to be consumers as we learn and as we eat even i think even more that you and i will be producers i think you and i actually will be workers Uh, Going all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, you and I, from the moment we were created, God had given us a task. We had a purpose that was and a task that was satisfying and fulfilling. God told Adam and Eve, I want you to rule over my creation. I want you to be the stewards of it uh, and the delegates of it to rule over, to represent me over all that I've created and it is your task. Remember, work was good work was present before the fall what made work so unsatisfying was the curse remember when Adam and Eve fall into sin work itself becomes tainted and is no longer satisfying it is no longer easy it is no longer fulfilling but remember work was present before the fall and so even later this fall we're going to talk about careers we're going to talk about employment work is good work is divinely created and tasked for you and i there's elements of it that make it really really hard but again those elements are going to be removed in a new heaven on a new earth You and I will have a task that is fulfilling and satisfying, that we will be gripped by, and that we will be challenged by, and that we'll be pushed by. There's a reason why, even as I think about retirement one day that's a long way off, there's an element of me that thinks inactivity and playing golf for the rest of my life, which I hate, just sounds awful, right? Uh, I want to do something, all right? Um, even vacations, you know, as you guys kind of run through a semester, so much of you guys are just longing for Christmas break. Maybe not yet, but in another month and a half, you're gonna be exhausted and tired, just looking for a break. And at least for me, even from a task and a job that I love, I still want breaks from this job. And yet even on a vacation, it takes about a week in which my batteries are recharged and then I'm bored and I'm ready to do something. I'm ready to put my faculties towards something. All right. I think for all of eternity, you and I aren't just singing songs and floating and and being inactive. You and I are going to have tasks that will be satisfying and fulfilling, that we'll, we'll be investing our entire selves into, again, though, for the glory of God and for the purposes of God, and therefore they will be fulfilling and even honoring to him. And so you and I will be workers. And in fact, I think you and I will be workers in the family business, right? Because all that we will be a part of is something that is going to honor God himself. And so not just that you and I will be workers, but we will be family members. In fact, most people, as they think about uh, heaven itself, one of the greatest questions I think people ask about is, will I see my loved ones? What about marriage? Um, People ask, what about sex in heaven and on this new earth if we're created uh, bodily? I think often uh, that topic is one of the, most, uh, one of the hardest um, and one of the most difficult. You have passages in the Gospels where uh, they ask Jesus and, and the discussion is something along the lines of there will be no marriage, no one given as husband and wife. And so the question is, well, what about my own wife? What about my family? Um, what will become of our relationships uh, in, in a new heaven on a new earth? And I think what we find uh, through much of the scriptures is that uh, the physical earthly institution of marriage was but a picture of the marriage that was eventually coming. Uh, This was about a picture, a union of husband and wife uh, that was going to be a picture of Christ's union with his bride, the church. And and so as we look toward uh, a new heaven on a new earth, what we're going to find is not the disillusion of marriages or the disillusion of of families. But I think what we're going to find is that the inclusion of all those into a greater marriage and a greater family that will overshadow them all. So will you know your wife or your spouse one day, Lord willing, if he grants you that? I think you will. (laughs) especially if they know Jesus Christ, because we know apart from a knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ, we will not spend eternity in the heaven or in heaven uh, on a new earth. And so if you know uh, that person has a confidence that they know Jesus Christ, then I think you will see them on that new heaven, on that new earth. And and yet the reality is, I I think that in the midst of those uh, ongoing and and real relationships that will all still be shrouded or, or overshadowed by the ultimate marriage that exists, which is going to be Christ with his bride, the church. So I think those relationships that you have now will be ongoing and you will see loved ones. You will see spouses. I don't necessarily think that there will necessarily be sex. It's a question and a topic for another morning. All right, uh, But I think you, we will be, in a sense, part of a, a giant family. I think for a lot of us, again, uh, whether we hate school and don't want to be learners or whether we have a family experience that is really rough and that when we think of family, we think of a lot of pain. But again, what we're looking forward to is the restoration of all of those institutions, the restoration of all of those experiences for the glory of God. And so you and I will never be excluded again. You and I will never be part of a broken family again. We will never be abused again. We will always now be a part of, if we know Jesus Christ, part of a family that is inclusive and that is healthy and not dysfunctional. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right. Uh, last thing as we kind of wrap up, uh, is not just that we will be family members, but we will be worshipers. I'm ending here because this is where so many start and end, which is the idea of worship. True, really the foundational piece of what we're looking forward to is the reunion with Jesus Christ himself and seeing God face-to-face and in his presence. A God that we cannot see, we cannot hear apart from his word. And what a new heaven on a new earth will be, will be God dwelling amongst us, just like he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. A A God that we can now connect with, a God that we can see, a God that we can hear tangibly and walk with intimately. That is really our greatest hope of what we're looking forward to. But realize, even in that experience and in that relationship, in that worship experience, it is not endless worship services and endless songs. All right? Because you and I were created for so much more than just simply the vocal declaration of truth in harmony in a song. You and I were created for so much more than just that. In fact, what heaven is going to be is an inclusion and an enjoyment of so much more, not just God himself, but the entirety of his creation, so that all that he created us to be is all that we will experience and find fulfillment in. It is not an endless worship service where we just sing for all of eternity and don't do anything, all right? What worship really is even now is not just the, this declaration of song. What worship is is a lifestyle in which our lives are laid to the Lord and all that we are is all that he is. And what worship is is an offering of ourselves to him. So Tyler's going to come back up with a uh, with crew and then we're gonna, he's going to talk a little bit more about what worship is and what we want worship to be even here at Southwood. And then we're going to end this morning on a song of response. Well, good morning.
1: Um, kind of as Trey talked about, worship being the being a response to God. And uh, what we want it to be more than just a re- an emotional response to in music. Kind of as we're here, a lot of times we respond to a song, and we hear a song, we're like, oh, I like that song, and I like what it's saying, so I'm going to respond, and I'm going to sing, I'm going to raise my hands. And that—that that is all encapsulated in the worship experience that we have here on Sunday morning. But what we want to flesh out is more um, as we leave here and as we walk away from this building, how does the worship service impact you then? Do you align yourself with God during the worship service? Are you connecting with what the song is actually saying? If we're talking about uh, heaven on a Sunday morning, and then we're, we're about to sing a song that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Are you thinking about the greatness of God and how great and how wonderful His promises are? And then as we leave this building, are we walking in that? Are we striving to know this God better? And are we walking with Him on a daily basis and knowing Him better, knowing His promises to us and how He interacts with us? Does the Sunday morning and does the worship that we do here motivate you to know God better outside? And if not, then I can encourage you to listen to the words, think about what they're saying. And if they are, then that's great. And I hope we're achieving that goal. But my goal for this morning is really not that everyone would leave and be like, "Man, that music was awesome," but they would leave being like, "Man, the God that we worship is awesome, and I want to know Him better." So that's kind of what our goal here is at, here is at Southwood, and we try to align as much as possible, Trey and I, content wise and stuff. And so. Kind of as we sing, I wanted to explain what the last song was going to be. It's going to be a song that kind of walks through each stage of our lives. And uh, the chorus is going to say, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And it's just a really great song that just kind of sings about how great the Lord is and how uh, He is faithful to us. It sings about the, the qualities of the Lord, saying that He's rich in love and He's slow to anger. And this is true of our God. And so I plead with you that if you don't know that as well as you should, then walk with Him, then strive to know Him better. So uh, let's stand and sing this this morning. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I worship Your holy name,
0: Father God. We do give You thanks, Father. We worship You for You are holy. You are set apart. You are unique, Father. We give You thanks because we know every good gift comes from the Father of lights. You are the giver of good gifts, and all that we have, even in this creation, even flawed by sin and corrupted and waiting for a, a change and a freedom that is to come. But even in this creation, we see your goodness. And Father, I pray this morning, Lord, even as we step into this week, Lord, I pray that all of our lives would find opportunity for worship. Father, I pray for that which we eat. Lord, I pray that we would give you thanks for that which you provided, that which you've caused us to enjoy. Father, I pray even that which we learn, even that which, in which we walk through school. Lord, I pray that we would honor you. We would worship you in our classes. Uh, that even in the tasks that you've given us, whether that be studying or work, Lord, I pray that our entirety of our lives would honor you, that in family and in relationships, in the different arenas of our lives, Lord, I pray that we'd see uh, our relationship with you as not an aspect of a Sunday morning, and not as a a part of us, Lord, but I pray that it would permeate and define the entirety of our lives, and that all that we do, we would honor you in it and through it uh, as a means and as a preview of what we will be doing for all of eternity enjoying all that you've created, enjoying all that you've made us to be, and praising you and worshiping you in that, not just with the vocal uh, declaration of truth, but even the very enjoyment of the very things you've created. Might we make much of you in all that you've allowed us to enjoy. Might we honor you in the way that we walk. Father, I pray that you would expand our view of worship, even as we wait on which a day will come, which it will be expanded even greater, in a restoration of all that you've created for our own enjoyment, and to worship and to praise you and to make much of you, Lord. Father, I pray that our lives would do that. And even as we walk out, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would allow us to see where our sense of worship is way too narrow and that where our sense of heaven is also too narrow. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning, and we will see you guys next week. If not, see you guys at Fuzzy's right here after the service. Thanks for coming, y'all.